Wintrust Bank, and Mazda of Orland Park. Welcome on in to White Sox Weekly here on ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. I am Jeff Meller alongside Fred Hubner, filling in for Connor McKnight, who has the play-by-play duties this evening, along with Darren Jackson as the White Sox take on the Boston Red Sox. They'll kick off their series today because yesterday's game was rained out. That game will be made up as part of a split doubleheader tomorrow. And then, of course, the White Sox will wrap up their series against the Red Sox this weekend with a wraparound series that will conclude on Patriots Day, which means we will have a very early game on Monday as well. So make sure that you have it locked here on ESP 1000, your White Sox network, for all the White Sox action. Again, this is White Sox Weekly, 312-332-3776. If you'd like to join us for any White Sox conversation. And the White Sox, Fred, concluded this week 2-3. and three if you go back to Sunday. But I have to tell you, it was a magnificent week. Because yes. when you get a no-hitter, it's it's cause for a celebration this early in the season. Yeah, especially when you get one from Carlos Rodon and all the talk about feel-good story. A guy that was, uh, you know, let go. They brought him back. Uh, he's had so many injuries. And you saw what he's been able to do. Can we just name Ethan Katz as the coach of the year in all of baseball right now and what he's been able to do a couple years ago with Lucas Giolito and now what he's been able to do now with Carlos Rodon and uh, hopefully with Dylan Cease, who goes later on today. And you look at it, and that made it, you felt so good for Carlos because that was potential was always there, but injuries have always slowed him down. And now you see he's healthy. And what he did the other day was just amazing. And Carlos Rodon made the rounds after the no-hitter, rightfully so. When you pitch a magnificent ball game like that, you get the fruits. Yes. You know, you, you are the victor, so the fruits go to you. He had the opportunity to not just speak with any, everybody who wanted to have a conversation with him, but, of course, he got the uh, primetime slot on Sports Center with SVP. Uh-huh. You throw a no-hitter, you get a chance to talk to the bigwigs at the network, and he credited Ethan Katz with helping him clean up his mechanics, especially his, specifically his lower half, and really talked about that helping unlock some of his potential, really the potential that a lot of people saw when he was drafted third overall by the White Sox so long ago. Yeah, and the most amazing part of the whole thing was when you're watching the ninth inning, he's throwing the ball 98.9, 98, 99 miles per hour. It's like, okay, it's the ninth inning. You're throwing 114 pitches, and you're bringing your best fastball with you in the ninth inning, and it, w- it was a nice high fastball. They weren't hitting it. They might have fouled it off here and there, but they weren't going to touch it, and uh, he threw so well, and that was the amazing part. Usually a pitcher throwing 110, 111, 12 pitches isn't going to bring a- his hardest fastball of the game at the end in the ninth inning. He was juiced up. He had the adrenaline going, and that was nice to see. It's so weird because now we can't wait for his next outing. You, no, you're absolutely right, and that will come on Monday. He does have the Patriots Day game. He's slated to start, so he will be back on the mound. It will be interesting to see if Zach Collins will be behind the plate for him because you would think yeah. you throw a no-hitter to a catcher, he probably gets to catch the next game. I would think, but again, because of the way the doubleheader falls in between there, we know that Zach will, in all likelihood, catch sure. at least one game tomorrow. Zach's also in the starting lineup today. You know what? It's out, so we may as well give it to the Sox fans out there. Today's starting lineup against the Red Sox, leading off Tim Anderson. Good to have him back in the lineup. Playing right field, Adam Eaton will hit second. Now, Yoan Mancata shifts to third, playing third base. Jose Abreu will hit cleanup uh, at first base. DHing, everybody's darling across baseball, Yermin Mercedes. 
Catching, of course, as I mentioned, Zach Collins today hitting sixth. Luis Robert is in center fielder hitting seventh. Andrew Vaughn, who's made a couple nice plays now out in the outfield, in left field. Nick Madrigal will be at second base hitting ninth. And, of course, Dylan Cease will be on the mound today. So there's your White Sox starting lineup against the Red Sox today. First pitch, of course, is 3.05. We'll have your pregame coverage beginning at 2.30. But White Sox Weekly right here on ESPN 1000, the White Sox Network. I'm Jeff Miller along with Fred Huebner. If you'd like to participate, again, 312-332-3776. All year long, we're here for two hours before the start of your Saturday White Sox game. So make sure you make an appointment listening and make sure that you give us a call if you want to talk about anything related to the White Sox. Yeah, the, the, the move with Moncada hitting third and Abreu hitting fourth. I'm trying to figure this out because you're a more. I, I think I heard you during the course of the week, and you're more of a. You're not as much into lineup construction. I don't think a lot of people have been. A lot of people are in the past, but you have two guys that really aren't hitting right now. And you on Moncada hitting 191, mm-hmm. and Abreu hitting 184. Okay, so you've got two guys that are struggling. You flip them in the order. Now, is that to give Abreu more protection? Is that to take some pressure off of of Moncada, or does it even matter? Yeah, it's, you know, it's one of those things where it's hard to know exactly what Tony La Russa is thinking. And the one thing I don't think we really know yet is how much Tony La Russa is consulting the front office, you know, these uh-huh. days. You know, Tony La Russa, everybody who's followed the White Sox for any period of time know that, knows that he's, look, he's an old, scare, old school manager, but he's an old school manager who kind of revolutionized baseball way back in right. the late 80s, early 90s with his use, usage of pitchers and his, you know, the way he used his players to his entire bench. And I'm not exactly sure how much right now he's consulting with the White Sox front office. And, you know, you, you mentioned it's everything is so analytically driven these days. A lot of numbers that we just don't have access to. Right. The teams, you know, it's a much more complicated game than it's ever been. We have, you know, so much more. It's inform- not just throw the ball, hit the ball. No, it's, 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 it's a little more complicated. <laughs> you know, we, we have things like pitch shape. And, you know, the probability that a hitter is going to be able to succeed against this specific type of pitch. So I'm not exactly sure why Yohan Makata and Jose Abreu are flipped. I will say, though, you mentioned that they're both struggling a little bit right now. The one thing is when it's so early in the season, I, I really don't even look at stats in terms of batting average. You know, it's, it's nice to see, you know, the power if, you, if you're off to a hot streak and a guy's got three, four, five home runs in the early going. But in terms of batting average, you know, it's just, you know, a couple of at-bats. Your, your batting average right. shoots all, all over the place just based on that so early in the season. So I don't really put a whole lot of credence when a guy's, you know, suppo- like right now, as you mentioned, Abreu and Makata both being below 200 at this point in the season. I kind of just shrug my shoulders. And until we get like at least a month into the season, I don't really put a whole lot of stock into it. Well, you look at it in the slash line, the Sox slash line as a team is 233, 337, 367. 233 is low. The on-base at 337 is tied for the best in baseball with Boston. Yes. So it, it, it's it, strange. So they're not hitting the ball, but, but they're getting on base. That's an interesting point because if you look across baseball, batting average in particular is at its lowest level since I think some point in the early 1900s. It might even go date back to the 1800s. I saw okay. it. I'll try and get the specific yeah. one for you later here. But batting average right now is at an all-time low. And – it shouldn't be too surprising when you look at the increased number of strikeouts, the proclivity of the shift all across baseball. It's just harder and harder to get base hits now than it's ever been. And so that my, my takeaway is even though the batting average is a bit low, when you look at it across the league, it's really not that much of an outlier. And more importantly, 
You pointed out the on-base percentage. Yeah. As long as that continues to be, you know, amongst the leaders in baseball, I do believe the White Sox, things will get much better. Again, they're 6-7 and seven right now, and I'm full of optimism. Yeah. I don't know how you feel, but yeah. at 6-7, and seven, the pitching staff, the rotation has been dominant. It's been everything I expected, except, of course, for what we... For what we got from Carlos Rodon, which was completely unexpected yeah, for me. Yeah, did not expect that. Uh, Lance Lynn, you knew he's a guy that's going to give you innings. You know, 10 strikeouts and no walks. Probably didn't expect that. Uh, we get Dylan Cease today. We'll see what he does. Lucas Giolito is not disappointed. Keuchel has been okay. He hasn't been great. He hasn't been awful. He's just been okay in his first couple starts. And he'll be the first to tell you. He, he's not happy with the way his first couple starts have gone, and hopefully that'll change when he goes around and, and comes for his next outing, which will be tomorrow sometime. I will give Dallas Keuchel, though, a pass, too, because Tony La Russa mentioned what he did on Monday. Preceding Carlos Rodon's right. no-hitter on Wednesday, Rodon was slated to be on the mound on Monday. He had the upset stomach and was unable to go, and Dallas Keuchel stepped in, really wasn't, you know, I think they they gave him a heads up that it might be a possibility. Sure. But I don't think he was truly believing that when he came to the ballpark on Monday that he was going to be the starter. He talked about it in the postgame. And so he he gave them, I think, a good outing. Tony La Russa mentioned it in the postgame on Monday. He called it a heroic effort from Dallas Keuchel. That was a crazy game. You know what? Since we're there, the way that game ended, Fred, I'd like to play the highlight because you are listening to ESPN 1000, the White Sox Network. Let's uh, play the highlight of how that game ended on Monday against Cleveland. Here's the pitch. Eaton into the right field corner. It's deep. It is. Gone! Two-run homer. Adam Eaton, indeed, won it bet. He made it count. Infield at double play depth. Madrigal at second. Grounded a first. Chang's got it. He's up with it. This is thrown away. It's going to get into left. Here comes Madrigal. And the White Sox win it. The White Sox win it. Madrigal comes around to score. The throw... Hit the runner. There's Gatorade out by the mound. The White Sox win it in the bottom of the ninth. 4-3. They stop the Indians' four-game win streak. You got a little bonus highlight there on the front end as that was Len Casper calling Adam Eaton's home run on Sunday. A home run that almost made Adam Eaton the hero. The White Sox weren't able to hang on in that one on Sunday against the Royals. But then on Monday they come back and Connor McKnight calling his first game, by the way, did a brilliant job. You, you heard the final call there as uh, as uh, Yu Chang gave the White Sox a gift. What should have been a tailor-made double yeah, play. Yeah. It's Yasmani Grandal with the throw right in the, in the back helmet. Of the head, right? And the White Sox and Nick Madrigal comes around for the game-winning run. And Dallas Keuchel gives you a heroic effort, giving you five innings in that game. And the bullpen was masterful in that one. Well, and I think we've seen also that the games with Cleveland are going to be, you know, nip and tuck each, each game. All season long, these games with Cleveland, because the pitchers that they run out there, that the Indians run out there, are so tough. It was nice to see them jump jump on Zach Plesak for six runs in the first inning the other day. But you saw Shane Bieber, you saw what Savali did in the final game of the series. It's it's not easy going up against that Cleveland pitching staff. Now, for years, everyone said, 
Cleveland's going to be tough. Look at their pitchers. They've not been able to keep their pitchers healthy usually for the whole season. So we'll see what happens as we go forward. But you, you split with them, you're good. Now you got another chance against Cleveland this week. You got a two-game series in Cleveland later in the week. So you you want to go, you want to go to Cleveland and at least split. Now, taking two is always nice, but at least split with the Indians because you want to you got to stay with them. You got to stay with them all year. And who knew even at this early point of the season that the Royals would be anywhere? And you find them at the top of the division standings. Yeah, they're definitely a plucky young squad that is a little bit better than people may have expected. Yep. Their lineup is definitely dangerous. You mentioned Cleveland. We're going to be seeing a lot of them over the upcoming weeks, including when the White Sox come back for their homestand. Your White Sox return home on April 23rd through May 2nd to take on the Rangers, Tigers, and Indians. Single-game tickets for the homestand are on sale now. Get your tickets at whitesox.com slash single-game. Yeah, the, the Indians are always going to be difficult because of the pitching they tread out, out there at you. It's going to be a little bit of a more struggle against them. Now, today, though, you've got Boston, whose pitching is certainly not their strength. Their no. strength is in their lineup, and they're going to bash the baseball around. And the White Sox, I would think, if they're going to have any success, are going to need to put on their hitting shoes this weekend. Yeah, and uh, the pitcher for Boston, though, is 2-0. and So Nick Pavetta today is 2-0. and He's got a 367 or a 327 earned run average. And uh, they go in against the uh, White Sox later on today. But, yeah, you go to Fenway. Fenway's one of those places where you never know. You could have a four-run lead, go to the ninth. No lead is ever safe when you go to Fenway. And they've got Rafael Devers, a guy that... Boston was able to give up Yohan Moncada because they knew they had Rafael Devers there. And he's got five homers already this season. He's never an easy out. And uh, they've got some guys that can slug the ball. So we'll see. They don't have Ben Attendee anymore. One less guy you have to worry about because it was always a tough lineup with those lefties coming at you. Yeah, there's no doubt about it, but it certainly is an imposing lineup that the White Sox and Dylan Cease will take on today. Again, pregame starts at 2.30, 3.05 first pitch today here on ESP 1000 White Sox Network. I'm Jeff Meller along with Fred Hubner. Plenty more to go here on White Sox Weekly. We will hear from Zach Collins coming up at 1 o'clock. We'll also check in with a national writer from the ringer, Michael Bauman. He'll join Join us at two. He may be the world's biggest Lance Lynn fan, so we'll have to pick his brain about the White Sox ace later in the show. And also plenty more to do. But if in case you cannot get enough of the magical Wednesday evening that we had on the South Side, we'll give you another chance to relive it in a musical highlight montage. Carlos Rodon's no-hitter. Some highlights coming up next on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on ESPN 1000, White Sox Network. I'm Jeff Meller along with Fred Hubner. We're regaling in an absolutely magical Wednesday night where Carlos Rodon threw the 20th no-hitter in White Sox franchise history. It was oh so close, Fred, to yeah. perfection. Yeah, and you know, it's funny too because middle of the week games, okay, sometimes you go, ah. You know, I saw the games over the weekend. I saw Monday and Tuesday. I said, like, okay, Rodon's going. It's Cleveland. Ah, it's I don't hump know if day. I'll catch it or not. Yeah, I got to go to work Thursday, Friday. Yeah, I don't know if I'm going to sit. I sat and watched the entire game. I, sat, I was home that night. I don't know why I chose that one because there are other ones where I'll, I'll catch some of it or not all of it. But Listen, I sat there. If you were looking the at the pitching game. matchup, if you were going to circle one and say, I need to see this, it probably would have been Tuesday because right. Shane Bieber and Lucas Giolito looked tasty. Uh, on the pitching probable, and it, was. And it did not disappoint. No, not we will all. talk about that game later in the show as well, I promise you. But we cannot obviously ignore 
what happened on Wednesday night at Guaranteed Rate Field. And probably even cooler was the fact that you had one last August when Lucas Giolito threw his no-hitter, James McCann, behind the plate. Well, this one was sweet because we had fans in the stands. Your 2021 White Sox are presented by Guaranteed Rate. Learn how you can turn your belief in a new home into action at Rate.com. If you believe, you will. And... To get your priority ticket access this season, secure a ticket package by visiting WhiteSox.com. Today, you could be there the next time the White Sox throw a no-hitter. Yes, you could be. You that never would know. be nice. Um, so if you missed it, here's a chance to relive some of the great moments. Len Casper on the call on the Chicago White Sox Radio Network. Swing and a ground ball right to the shortstop. Garcia, the throw to first. Got him. Carlos Rodon, perfect through five, and he's got a big cushion. Eight runs, ten hits for the White Sox. Nothing across so far for Cleveland. Another 2-2. Called strike three. He rings him up on a slider. Perfect through six. This is getting interesting. Last year, just trying to get back into the mix. Appeared just four times and made two starts. The 3-1 to Ramirez. Line shot to left, right at Vaughn. He's got it. Perfect through seven. 1-1. Hit high in the air, in the outfield. Caught by Madrigal. With Eaton and Robert right behind him. 2-2 pitch. Swing and a miss. Strike three. Two gone in the eighth. The 0-2. Swing and a miss. Strike three. Perfect through eight. Sets up an 0-2. Little topper toward first. Tough play. Abreu to the bag. Out. Out at first. Abreu ended up basically sliding feet first into the bag. And he beat Naylor. Another 0-2. That's low. Almost hit him. Did Perez get hit? He did. He got clipped on the foot. And he heads to first. That was an 0-2 pitch, and uh, Rodon chatting with him as he heads down to first base. Yeah. That slider that he likes to bury, usually off of the back foot. And it was off of his foot. 1-2. Called strike three. Chang is out on strikes. Two down, ninth inning. Three balls, two strikes. the signal. Another 3-2. Ground ball to third. Moncada up with it. Throw to first. It's a no-hitter. Carlos Rodon has no-hit the Cleveland Indians. The 20th no-hitter in Sox history. What a performance. He's being mobbed on the mound by his teammates. They come rushing from the bullpen. He was also close to a perfect game, but a no-hitter will do. It's a pretty special moment. Not many people can say they've done a hitter. I got a hitter. In Major League Baseball, it's almost like, oh, there's been some up and downs. You know, what's it like to go through that, go through some adversity and... It just feels good to finally sit here and tell you um, I dominated today, and it was it felt good. I've never really done that. 
I've never done it on this level, at least. And uh, it feels good to say I, I did it. And let me tell you, it felt good to watch. Yep, and he did dominate. And to watch Carlos Rodon take it in and be very thoughtful in all his responses in all the post-game interviews that he did was really cool because you could tell that it meant a lot to him. He wasn't just brushing it off as, you know, it's interesting because you hear the confidence in that soundbite to conclude the highlights where he says, I've never, never dominated right. at this level. I've never but been to- able to come out and say I've dominated today. But yeah. tonight I did. Yeah. And, and that's, he is somebody who did probably throughout the entirety of his life before he got to the majors dominate like that. Right. I mean, he was the number three overall pick in the major league draft for a reason, you know, at NC state, he was the best pitcher uh, in his class that year. You know, there was no doubt Carlos Rodon was going to be a stud in the majors. And, you know, to hear him talk about the way he felt and to be able to say that he did it, no one can ever take that away from him, Fred. No, but a lot of people, Never envisioned what happened on Wednesday night. I'd really like to know, and then somewhere along the line we'll probably find it out, I'd really like to know what the White Sox, what Rick Hahn and everybody else were thinking when they decided not to bring him back and when what changed their mind. When did they say, you know what, maybe he is the guy? Was it something that Ethan Katz may have said? Say, listen, Rodon just needs a fix. He does. Okay, we'll bring him back. So I'd love to know how that happened, but it's great to see him. The outing he had in, in Seattle was just a, an indication of, obviously not of a no-hitter, but of how, what he can do when healthy, and it's so nice to see. Yeah, the health for sure. And yep. you mentioned it. Carlos Rodon certainly thought about it. He was on ESPN 1000 earlier this week on Thursday after the, after the performance, and Carmen asked him, do you think, did you think that you might have thrown your last pitch in a White Sox uniform? Yeah, that definitely was in the back of my head. I, it was, it was just that extra motivation. I, I, I understood it. You know, I, you can't blame you can't blame the White Sox for doing it. I, it's business decision, and um, sometimes you got to move on. And luckily, we circled back and and, and made it happen. Still, but uh, I totally understand understood the the non tender. Um, but it, it was good for me. It it gave me that that extra motivation. What it's what I needed. It's kind of a slap in the face. They also asked him if the struggles that he's gone through made the no-hitter that much sweeter. Uh, yeah, I mean, it makes that, I feel like it makes it even more special to me. Um, no, I love, uh, I'll never forget, you know, I'll never forget the the long road I've gone through thus far, um, to get to this point at least. Um, I'm just not, I'm, I'm not going to forget it because it, it's humbling and there's a lot of humility there from, uh, from those injuries and you know some some adversity I had to go through, but uh, and it just makes it makes all this so much sweeter. The man of the hour, Carlos yeah. Rodon, joining Carmen and Yurko earlier this week here on ESPN 1000. This is ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. I'm Jeff Meller along with Fred Hubner, taking you up till 2:30 when our pregame coverage between the White Sox and Red Sox begins today. Let's pause 10 seconds for our stations to identify themselves on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. All right, a lot of love. Deservedly so for Carlos Rodon and what he did. But his battery mate that night, Zach Collins, who's in the starting lineup tonight, maybe getting a little bit uh, short shrift. Maybe a little. Let's ask him about what the night was like for him when we come back on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. 
Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on ESPN 1000, White Sox Network. I'm Jeff Meller, and now it's our opportunity to take a minute and chat with a man who's maybe getting short shrift just a little bit for Wednesday night's historic achievement, the 20th no-hitter in White Sox franchise history. Carlos Rodon obviously was the man throwing the pill, but his battery mates behind the plate... Zach Collins joins us here on ESPN 1000. Zach, how cool a moment was it for you Wednesday night? Uh, it was pretty incredible. Uh, it was my 16th game behind the plate in the big league, so uh, for that to happen so soon for me was uh, was pretty amazing, and uh, everything was working for us, and, and obviously it was, a, it was a great night. I love it that you, uh, you've had the chance now to reflect a little bit, and you, you know that it was your 16th time behind the plate, which I have to imagine for you, Zach, was just a little bit sweeter because, I'll be honest, I'm a White Sox fan, and I've read a lot of criticism from people around baseball who have questioned your ability to actually catch in the big leagues. So I have to imagine it was just a little bit sweeter to be able to take part in what happened on Wednesday night. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, yeah, there's, there's obviously been those questions since I was drafted, but uh, for that to happen so soon for me, it's pretty amazing. And just to, to prove people wrong that, that I can't catch in the big leagues, and, and now I have the confidence that I could really do anything back there is, is pretty cool. But uh, it's been a long time coming, a, long, a lot of work and a lot of uh, days in the cage and off the machine and stuff like that, and, and obviously uh, made it all worth it. And you mentioned there there was a lot of work. There still is a lot of work going in to you mastering your craft here. Carlos Rodon was very complimentary in the postgame talked a lot and gave you a lot of credit and mentioned I think his exact quote was something along the lines of I only shook him off maybe once if that throughout the entire game and he gave you a lot of credit what have you done differently to really prepare yourself for a moment like Wednesday night Uh, just talking with all the pitchers as much as I can catching their bullpens as much as I can on off days um, just getting to know them as much as I possibly can and um going with them through the scouting reports before the game, trying to get to know uh, what they like to do, watching them when Yasmani's catching them uh, to see what they're doing. There's a lot of that that goes into it, but um, obviously Carlos had his best stuff that night, and and, uh, pretty much anything I put down was working. So uh, it was nice that uh, we could kind of zoom through that one, and, and it was pretty cool. What's the coolest thing in retrospect now that you maybe, that didn't dawn on you right away, that uh, now a few days later has come to fruition for you here? Well, there's a couple things. I think one of them being that um, there's a lot of catchers that are, that are great catchers in the big leagues that, that have never caught a no-hitter or a perfect game. Um, I mean, it's pretty cool that, that I got to do that as a as a rookie and, and uh, so early in my career, um, get, get that uh, pretty much out of the way. But obviously, uh, I would like to catch a lot more of those, and, and it was pretty cool to do that. But uh, another big thing is that it's it's history. It's um, it's something that nobody can ever take away from us. Um, it's something that no matter what happens in my career, or his career, uh, will be down in history forever. And and uh, I think it's pretty cool. It was pretty awesome to see Carlos Rodon achieve that after all he's gone through. You've seen a lot of what he's had to go through firsthand, the struggles, dealing with the shoulder surgery, and then Tommy John after that. And then last year was a difficult year for him, the way he was used, coming out of the bullpen, something he wasn't used to. Tell me a little bit about what he's gone through as a pitcher. Yeah, I mean, he's a grinder. He's he's kind of showed everyone that um, no matter what he's gone through in his career, he's going to come back even stronger and um, 
coming back for us last year out of the bullpen, obviously something that he wasn't used to, still gave it his, his all and, and um, was, was thrown good for us. And obviously this year coming back and, and proving that he could be one of our five starters on a, on a rotation like this um, was huge for us. And he proved that he can do it. He came out there and uh, so far in his first two starts, he's done amazing. And, and um, I got nothing but good things to say about him. Talking with White Sox catcher Zach Collins here on White Sox Weekly ESPN 1000. I'm Jeff Mellor in for Connor McKnight. Zach, it was history, but it was also very close to being just a bit more impressive. Oh, so close to a perfect game until the ninth inning when Roberto Perez gets clipped on the toe. I have to ask, you're a fellow catcher. If you were in the reverse situation, would you have gotten out of the way of that ball? You know, I... I try to tell people it's, it's hard to uh, explain but I, I don't think that he stood in the way of that ball to get hit and ruin the perfect game I think honestly that he might have been either a little bit fooled or, or uh, he just didn't recognize the pitch uh, coming into him uh, and it just kind of clipped his toe but uh, he's locked in there with two strikes trying to get a hit obviously for his team and um, it was a good sharp slider and, and kind of just clipped the back of his toe but uh, it's, it's tough to see in that situation, but at the same time, uh, I don't think he did it on purpose. So at what point as the game is unfolding, do you start to actually let yourself daydream about the possibility of a perfect game or a no-hitter? We're talking, do you get as crazy as after the third, or do you wait till sometime in the sixth or seventh? No, it usually happens around the sixth, uh, sixth or seventh. Um, there's, there's a couple times where guys take three or four uh, perfect, and then around the fifth, uh, second time, third time through, um, guys start getting a hold, a hold of it. But um, And, like, it, it really hit me in the seventh when we went back out there for the seventh to face the lineup the third time through. I knew if we were going to get uh, through the heart of the lineup perfect, um, I knew we had a pretty good shot. Um, and, obviously, we got, to get, we got it done. Prior to Roberto Perez, obviously, taking the uh, hit-by-pitch, Jose Abreu comes up with just an absolutely magnificent play. And as the play is unfolding, from your view, what did you think? Did you think initially that he was out? Yeah, well, I, I think that whether it was adrenaline or whatever it was, I thought for sure he was out. I don't know if I was just hoping that he was out or, or, or what it was, mm-hmm. but um, I, I didn't even think it was that close until I watched the video after uh, after the game, and it was obviously a really close play, but... Um, it was a great play by him, and that's that's the plays that always happens uh, in, in games like that where there's no hitters or perfect games on the line. All right, so you guys are slated for an afternoon affair today in Boston. You're going to have the split doubleheader tomorrow, and then on Monday you've got the quick turnaround with the Patriots Day game. Now, it's interesting. I have to imagine you're probably going to be slated to catch at least one game tomorrow because that's generally how managers like to handle their catchers these days in doubleheaders. And then on Monday, Carlos Rodon is back on the mound. I mean, is it protocol here that uh, you catch a guy with a no-hitter, you, you have to be back there behind the plate for him the next start, right? <laughs> I'm not really sure. Uh, I'm not really sure how that's going to work. I just come to the field every day and uh, check the lineup out and, and see if I'm in it and then prepare for the game. But um, I, I would hope that I'm going to catch him the next his next start and uh, just kind of try to do the same thing again. But... Um, yeah, I'm not really sure how that's all going to play out. <laughs> We're talking with White Sox catcher Zach Collins here on White Sox Weekly, ESPN 1000. I'm Jeff Miller. All right, Zach, so you talked about just all the great arms you have in the rotation right now. 
for you specifically, having the opportunity to catch these guys and see how nasty they are, Lance Lynn, who just fires like it seems like an endless supply of different types of fastballs at you. You've got Lucas Giolito, who, you know, with the wicked changeup keeps you guessing all the time. You've got Dallas Keuchel, a veteran who's a lefty, who, uh, you know, everybody knows what he's done in this game. And then, of course, Dylan Cease has some nasty, th- nasty stuff in his arsenal. And then what we saw from Carlos Rodon, for you, who would be the toughest to hit if you had to get in the uh, at, uh, in the under, uh, if you had to get up there at the plate? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't want to face any of them. Um, I, I think that uh, coming into this year, we look at our, our five starters and, and know that they're going to give us a chance to win every single game, which is what you need on a championship team. And um, I honestly think at, at any point in time, any of them can do special things. Uh, in this game and obviously we have three four veterans in there that that have shown what they can do and and then cease and um he's he's obviously got some nasty stuff so i mean i i personally i don't want to step in the box against any of them um but uh yeah i mean they're doing a great job for us so far i'm a father my son's 10 years old his bedtime is 8 30 now on wednesday night the game obviously had some special things going on, and he wanted to stay up to see what happened, to see the outcome. And as a father, I was trying to be a good dad, and as I was also, I'll admit, um, placating to my wife. And I said, you know what? It's bedtime. We're going to record it, and if something cool happens, we can check it out in the morning. Now, I have to tell you, Zach, he went to school, and all of his friends got to stay up late. Because their oh, parents, boy. because their parents knew what was going on, and they wanted to let their kids have a chance to watch history. Am I a failure as a dad? <laughs> um, I'm not going to say that you're a failure as a dad, but I am going to say that maybe the next time something like that happens, you might want to just let them sit up, stay up. You're right. I think I should have learned from uh, Lucas Giolito last year when uh, James McCann was catching. I should have figured, hey, you know what? You never count the White Sox out when something's going on here, and uh, you just got to let them stay up and uh, be tired the next day, right? Live and learn. Hey, any, uh, things happen for a reason, too. Maybe if you let them stay up, maybe they get a hit in the eighth or something. I don't know. Yeah, that's a good point. All right, Zach. Well, congratulations. Awesome performance. Uh, have a great game today and this weekend against the Red Sox. All right. Thank you. Zach Collins is in the lineup today for the White Sox. Bad dad. Yeah, Freddie, <laughs> Freddie. Um, you know what? I have to ask the listeners out there, 312-332-3776, if you're listening on ESPN 1000, White Sox Network, give us a call. Let me know, let me know what you think. Am I uh, a failure as a father there? I made my son go to bed before the completion of the White Sox game on Wednesday night. And sure enough, when, I, when he got home, because I'm, I'm gone before he leaves in the morning on Wednesday, when I got home on Wednesday and he got home from school on Wednesday afternoon. Let me know. I let me know. Let, let me tell you, I got an earful. Yeah. I'll because bet. all of his friends were telling him what happened and they were arguing about Roberto Perez and how it was Bush League that Roberto Perez didn't get out of the way. Uh-huh. And my son had nowhere to go. He was just listening to the conversation, but he had no context because I made him go to bed. Yeah. 
If you're a parent out there and you're watching the White Sox game, did you let your child stay up to watch the game to its conclusion? Give us a call. Let us know what you did. 312-332-3776. I'm Jeff Meller along with Fred Hubner. We've got plenty more to go here on White Sox Weekly. We're going to let you hear from Tim Anderson, who's back in the lineup. He's returned from the injured list. Nice to see him. He didn't waste any time. Not at all, right? He got First right, pitch. Got right back yep. into it and uh, did what he does, uh, providing uh, that energy and spark at the top of the order. Uh, we will hear from, we'll talk with Michael Bauman, who writes about baseball for The Ringer, get a national perspective on what he thinks about these White Sox. And uh, we'll also, a couple interesting things brought up by Jeff Passan and Kyle Ravage. So we got plenty to cover here on ESPN 1000. But again, let me know if you let your child stay up to watch Wednesday night's game, even though it went late into the night, if it was past their bedtime. Up next, we have a special edition of Connor Asks. You usually get a chance to ask Connor during the game if you tweet us. But now on White Sacks Weekly, it is the play-by-play man's opportunity to ask us a question. And since Connor's doing the play-by-play for Len Casper tonight, he'll ask us something. We'll find out what it is next right here on the ESPN 1000 White Sacks Network. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on ESPN 1000, White Sox Network. I'm Jeff Meller along with Fred Hubner, taking your phone calls at 312-332-3776. We will let you hear from Tim Anderson here shortly. Test your luck in the Queen of Hearts raffle benefiting White Sox charities. In addition to weekly prizes, one lucky win, one lucky fan will win 50% of the total progressive jackpot, which is over $100,000. To purchase Queen of Hearts raffle tickets, visit WhiteSox.com slash Queen of Hearts. All right, Fred, I mentioned to Zach at the end of the interview there that I sent my son Alex off to bed on Wednesday night before the game was over. I think it was around the 6th, maybe it was the end of the 6th when it was uh, his bedtime. And it, that was part of the reason, too, is like there was still... It was still, early. It there was, was still early three, still. You know, we, yeah. were gonna, we were really going to push his bedtime if, if, if Carlos Rodon was going to come yeah. through here, you know, and... In retrospect, too, thinking about it, because it was also a perfect game, I maybe, you know, I do have a little bit of buyer's remorse here in uh-huh. my decision-making. I think if I think if he was watching the game from the start and then you asked him to go to bed, that would be one thing. But if he was only kind of half into it or not watching it at all, I don't think it's a problem. I, um, I will tell you that very few kids I know at 10 years old Watch are watching game. baseball games from, from the start, start to yeah. finish. I know, you're right. It, that's, that's a big ask of a 10-year-old because... Well, let's be honest, I'm, I'm 63, and I was, I'm, it was one of the few I was watching start to finish. If, if you're asking, okay, he, was he in the same room with the baseball game on while he was playing Minecraft on his iPad while he was go. also watching the White Sox game, then yes. Yes, But okay. if you're asking, did the, did the game have his full, complete attention... From start to finish, and then I sent them to bed. No, would he no, have that se- was not the case. Would he have seen the ball hit Perez, or would he have been in the midst of a Minecraft uh, action? He would have looked up to see the replay. Okay, okay, that that's good. Um, let's again three one two three three two three seven seven six. If you let your child stay up to to watch Carlos Rodon complete the no hitter and come up just shy of a perfect game, let's ch- let's go on out to Willowbrook and say good afternoon to Owen. Hey, Owen, you're on ESPN one thousand White Sox Network. Hello, Jeff. Uh, thanks for taking my call, guys. Well, I'm a lifetime White Sox fan, but I can tell you as a parent, I think you're the exception rather than the rule, and it's a good exception because you, that's, that son of yours will grow up with discipline in his life, and discipline in your life is a great thing. 
But let me tell you my experience with flirting with perfect games. And Fred probably knows I'm a lifelong fan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when Burley threw his perfect game, I was out of town visiting relatives, and I had to find out on the news down there that he threw a perfect game. And then for Phil Hummer's perfect game, I had to fly to Africa, and I had to stay over in Amsterdam, and I found out from on CNN International that Phil Hummer threw a perfect game. Uh-huh. So I got a chance to see a perfect game live, and I saw him hit his foot. So the next time the Sox are flirting with a perfect game i'm gonna get in my car and get out of town <laughs> as fast as possible i love it owen and uh thanks for the uh, thanks for the words of encouragement i i do feel like i may have been the only parents in in the neighborhood who sent their kid to bed yeah you know and so for me that was uh that was a tough look the next day i'm not gonna lie with burley's perfect game i was on vacation in sedona arizona mm-hmm. and a guy I was doing chicago fire play-by-play at the time and my producer that for the games on the weekend, he sent me a text and he goes, hey, nice outing by your guy. <laughs> I go, what the heck is he talking about? That's a bit vague. We pull into Sedona and all of a sudden I walk into a bar and there's Mark Burley talking on the postgame show, which was live on ESPN at the time. So I completely missed that game. Mm. I saw none of that game. Because when you're on vacation in Arizona, you're not li- driving through this Arizona, you're not listening to White Sox baseball. Now you can. Yeah. Yes. I, I think Again, I, I think I may have learned my lesson if we get to the seventh inning in the future. Listen. If it's if it's Burley, it's an afternoon perfect game, yeah, right? Exactly. So, so that one's easier to let your kids, you know, stay up for and watch. But I may have, I think I'm learn. I'm going to try and learn a lesson here in the future if we're entering the seventh and yeah. it's still a perfect game. I think I'm going to let my son stay up the next time this happens because the White Sox. They've shown you the last couple of years they do have the propensity for something special to happen. He'll be far far more times. He'll be disappointed then he will be happy. Yes. Because far more times there'll be someone giving up a hit with two outs in the eighth. No doubt about yeah. it. Yeah. He's Fred Hubner. I'm Jeff Meller. This is White Sox Weekly here on ESPN 1000. We're in for Connor McKnight today, who has play-by-play duties, because Len Casper's got some television that he's working on. So Connor McKnight will call his second baseball game. He got to call his first last Monday uh, a White Sox winner. Tough week for the Sox in the sense that they were only able to win two games of the five, and we had a rain out yesterday, which means... We've got a doubleheader slated for tomorrow, a split doubleheader, the old seven-inning doubleheader that we're trying Ugh. to get accustomed to, yeah. which Fred is not a fan of. No. You can get complete games, but does a complete game seven innings count? Absolutely. I don't know, but I'd like to see two of them tomorrow. That would be nice. Uh, listen, I, uh, the, the, the White Sox have plenty of guys on their staff who are cap- are more than capable of giving you seven-inning sure. complete games every time they go out there. So that will certainly be a possibility. And, of course, the Monday Patriots game, in Boston, the Red Sox and the White Sox get to be a part of it. So that's yeah. pretty cool. We're going to have early morning baseball on Monday, 9.30 pregame show on ESPN 1000, White Sox Network. Make sure you're all ready because Monday it comes fast and early for you with a Monday 9.30 pregame show. So uh, make sure you have it locked here. All right, so I mentioned Connor is on the call for tonight's game with Darren Jackson. I say tonight, I should say this afternoon, starting at 3.05. Connor's on the call. And, again, remember, you've always got the opportunity to ask whoever's doing the play-by-play a question via Twitter if you follow us on Twitter. But on White Sox Weekly, we turn it around and we give the play-by-play man an opportunity to ask you, the listener, something. All right, Sox fans, time to turn the tables a little bit. Usually it's Ask Len, Ask DJ, or Ask Connor, but today it's Connor Asks. So your chance to humble brag just a little bit. What's your favorite piece of baseball memorabilia that you own? Not the best, not the most expensive, just your favorite piece. 
Maybe it's something from your favorite ball player. Maybe it's something from the 05 World Series. Maybe it's something from your own career. Maybe it's from Little League or college. Maybe it's just something that happened that was really special for you and your family, and you got a piece of memorabilia you'll never forget. That's my question for you today. What's your favorite piece of baseball memorabilia that you own? Use the hashtag ConnorAsks, and we'll read through some of your answers during the game this afternoon. So there you go. Connor asks you, what's your favorite piece of memorabilia? Fred, obviously you can, in addition to reaching out on Twitter, you can also give us a call, 312-332-3776. Fred, any jump to mind immediately for you? I've got two. The first one is I have a Dick Allen bat, the 40-ounce bat he used to swing. Nice. With a Hank Aaron autograph on it. My so, unfortunately, we, those are two guys, two greats that we lost within the last year. But it's a it's a uh, Dick Allen bat with a Hank Aaron autograph, and that's that's pretty cool. And uh, that's probably my favorite. I also have a Cal Ripken autographed playoff program from '83, which which is nice because it's Cal Ripken, but sucks because the Orioles beat the White Sox. But that's another one I have that's uh, pretty cool. All right, so I have two pieces of memorabilia that are my favorite. And if Eric Ostrowski, who's running the board for us, has one, I know he played baseball for a long time competitively, so maybe he can uh, give us some of his as well. But my personal favorite, I have two. So the one is the first time I got a ball at a game. My dad took me to a game on the south side, and it was pregame. We were there during batting practice. The White Sox were taking on the Toronto Blue Jays. I can't give you the exact year, but it was definitely early 90s, and we had... We had some pretty good seats, and it was batting practice, so we were up uh, on the down the third baseline, and the Blue Jays were in the field, and they were warming up, playing long toss, you know, shagging balls, and as they were heading into the dugout, I was surrounded by a group of kids, and we were all yelling to the Blue Jays outfielder, hey, throw a ball, get yeah. the ball, what a ball, what a ball, and as he was running off, Rob Ducey, Fred. There you go. Left fielder Rob Ducey for the Toronto Blue Jays obliged, tosses it to a group of kids. A bunch of gloves go up, probably eight or nine gloves all converge on the ball and knock the ball right onto the field. Oh, nice. So what does 11-year-old Jeff Meller do? Well, you jumped on the field. He hops right onto the field, grabs the ball, scoops it up, and then hops right back on and runs up the concourse to show his dad. Then... As my dad is probably, um, he's probably sitting there doing the math about, okay, this is a very cool moment for my son, but he also is looking and seeing four or five security guards come walking towards the direct area where the little boy just jumped up. At that moment, I'll give my dad credit because he immediately decided it was a good chance to take a tour of the stadium. <laughs> we immediately bolted with a group and decided to start touring the stadium and I, at that moment, folks, don't do this at home. It is not a good idea. You can be, listen, and for good reason. Yes. I was, I'll, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to claim ignorance here as an 11-year-old, but at the time, I hopped onto the field, and obviously that can result in expulsion yes, from the can. stadium. Yes, it so can. don't do that, folks. No. But as an 11-year-old, that's one of my uh, favorite pieces of baseball memorabilia for huh. me. If I learn anything from the movies, you quickly go buy a jersey with a different number that you were Absolutely already wearing, good a new ball cap, quick costume change. Yes, it should be good. Good point. Um, so my baseball thing is actually a personal one. When we were 16, 
we were playing a national tournament in the area, our international tournament in the area, and we got to play an exhibition game against the, uh, the Japan team in the Kane County Cougar Stadium. That's so awesome. one at 16, we've never played on a wall that were padded. Yeah. So we got there hours before the game. We were just throwing each other balls to nice. Rob all day. Um, but at the end of the game, we, we all like, I never, like in soccer, we swapped jerseys. So I still have a Japanese player's jersey that we played against in that day. That's and cool. And they worked us too, by the way. They absolutely worked us. Oh, sure. Well, a pretty cool uh, piece of memorabilia <laughs> there from Eric Ostrowski, who uh, does a lot of work uh, on White Sox games running the board for us here on White Sox Weekly. Again, I'm Jeff Miller, along with Fred Hubner. All right, so the last couple days, Major League Baseball has been celebrating Jackie Robinson Day. Yep. And Tim Anderson, coincidentally enough, had the opportunity to return from the injured list on Thursday, the day the White Sox were celebrating Jackie Robinson Day. April 15th. At Guaranteed right? Rate Field. Yeah, and, and yep. some teams were celebrating yesterday because they had the off day. Yeah. So... Tim Anderson's going to, uh, he joined the MLB network and uh, talked about the circumstances of the day and just how special it is to him. So we're going to hear from him when we come back. Sox fans, catch the action from a private diamond suite this season. Host your closest friends and family with customizable food and beverage options. For more information, call or text 312 674 1000 or visit whitesox.com to get today. I'm Jeff Meller along with Fred Hubner. This is ESPN 1000, White Sox Network. Two wins, and he's gone seven innings in both starts. And there's a base hit out into left center. First pitch swing by T.A. Good start. Yeah, I like the first pitch swinging. Tim Anderson wasting no time in his return from the injured list on Thursday. You heard that right here on ESPN 1000, White Sox Network. This is White Sox Weekly. I'm Jeff Meller along with Fred Hubner. Connor McKnight has the play-by-play duties this evening, so he will be calling the game. First pitch at 3.05 today. Pre-game coverage begins at 2.30 with Jonathan Hood. All right, so right there, Tim Anderson wastes no time on Jackie Robinson Day, gets right off to a single, and then immediately following Timmy, we get ourselves a little uh, baseball brouhaha. Kicks and fires, and there's a ground ball into right. Anderson will have to... No, he's going to try for third. And he's in, and Eaton will make second. And they're going to call him out, and I'll tell you what, Eaton now shoving. Jimenez and both benches have cleared. Eaton is convinced he was pushed off the bag. And there's a lot of pushing and shoving. The bullpens have emptied. And let's hope this does not get out of hand as... It looks to me like Abreu has wrapped his arms around Adam Eaton to try to keep him calm. On one hand, I truly believe number 42 is at fault, Fred. But then, on the other hand, (laughs) you have to admit that number 42 was also uh, not in the right for a little shove that he gave. uh, It was all 42's fault. 42's everywhere. The bench is empty. The bullpen's empty. And 42s were sprinkled yeah. around the field. You weren't sure who got to throw at second base. Who is it that stood up and, and, and pushed Adam Eaton off the base, which I truly think he did push him off the base. But, uh, yeah, there was one point in the game where uh, Lance Lynn had struck out number 42 eight times. It's amazing how he kept striking out number 42. You, listen. Couldn't believe it. It is weird because usually once you strike out five or six times, you don't get the seventh or eighth, no, eighth time not at all. to go out and uh, try and 
See if you can uh, write yourself in the same game, but you're right. And for the game, what he, he struck out 42 10 times, I yes. guess, right? Yes, so, yeah. so impressive performance. That's great. He, he, hopes, he can't wait to see that guy again. But uh, we digress. Of course, everybody was wearing number 42 on the field f- celebrating Jackie Robinson Day. Now, it was not a celebration at the end of the day because the White Sox did go on to lose that game. Lance Lynn did, re- did pitch really well. But yes, he did. Makes one mistake to Jose Ramirez and obviously pays for it. Well, Ramirez was like 0 for 19, and they kept saying, He's going to get healthy. Hopefully, it's after he leaves Chicago. Yeah, and yeah, he got healthy right there. Yeah, he's the what he really is. When you look up and down Cleveland's lineup, the one guy who can hurt you. Sure, so it's disappointing. But you know, again, I'm not, I'm not too caught up. It's still early in the season. I'll mention that Liam Hendricks. I thought said it best. He spoke on Monday after blowing the save on Sunday to the Royals. He spoke on Monday, and I really like that about Liam Hendricks. He's somebody who's more than willing to meet the media and tell you exactly what's going through his head, and he's not going to run away. You know, it was a, you know, he, obviously he wanted to do better on Sunday, close it out, but he, he wasn't able to, to do that. And so yeah, the Santana White, hit the homer off. He did, right? yeah. Yep. You know, again, another guy who's a dangerous guy in the lineup. Yep. Most, most teams will have one or two guys who can hurt you from time to time. But Liam Hendricks spoke about, look, we're a good team. At the end of the season, if we get to August and we are 10, 12 games over 500, nobody's going to talk about, you know, a slow start in April. And I think that's what it is right now. It's so easy as a fan to really kind of, you know, the expectations are high. Let's not, let's not lie. We, you know, anybody who's a White Sox fan, what, what they, what they did last year, they seemed to arrive a little bit early and then all the moves they made in the off season to really supplement you know, and add to this already good roster has a lot of people excited about the possibilities. Yep. And so a six and seven start, while not ideal, I'm telling you, when you look at the underlying numbers, we talked about the walks, the on-base percentage, and just what the starting pitching is giving you right now, you know, Lance Lynn, like he, like, I don't think you could have, you can ask for anything more than what he's given you so far. Lucas Giolito has proven, I was a little concerned because he seemed to work so well with James McCann last year. I was too. I was I was like, I need to see Lucas do what he did, you know, without James McCann being his personal catcher. And, you know, I don't know if he's he just, it's already, he's moved on. Or if it's just also having Ethan Katz there to be able to bounce stuff off of him. Yeah. But Lucas Giolito has shown you that he's not taking a step back. He's taking no, a step forward. Yeah, you, 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 and then you see you got you got Carlos Rodon going. Dylan Cease, you know, he's still got to pitch better, but he's, yeah. he's still got an ERA after a couple games in the threes. We'll see what Cease is going to do today. You know, right. he gets another opportunity against the tougher lineup, so it will be on him to prove that he is capable of more. I know White Sox fans would like to see that, and I'll tell you what, Fred, Dylan Cease is going to start to feel the pressure too if Michael Kopech continues to pitch as well as he's pitching out of the bullpen. Now, I don't think the White Sox have any plans right now to move Kopech into the rotation this season. But if Cease, and and again, Cease hasn't been bad, but Dylan Cease I do think needs to give them a little more because if he doesn't and everybody else in the rotation continues to pitch as well as they have and Kopech keeps doing what he's doing out of the pen, I will say a conversation will come later in the season, which is, a good problem to have for a baseball team. Yeah, Kopech, seven and two-thirds innings. He's given up a run on two hits and struck out 13. So, yeah, he's been fun to watch since he's come in. White Sox fans, join us for Beyond the Diamond at Home, presented by Wind Trust and People's Gas on April 25th.
Hear from Tony La Russa and your favorite White Sox players and get access to more exclusive content during the live stream event by making a donation to White Sox Charities. For details, visit WhiteSox.com slash diamond. All right. I mentioned that Tim Anderson was on MLB Network on Thursday prior to the start of their game on Jackie Robinson Day. This is what it sounded like. What does wearing the number 42 mean to you? Uh, it means a lot. Uh, you know, you're the reason that I'm here today. Uh, you know, to be able to put that, that number on definitely means a lot. Um, and, and, you know, just for, for, for what he stand for and, uh, you know, what he did for the community, what he did for the game, uh, you know, he changed it. He changed it. And, uh, you know, he the man. And it's only right, you know, to, to, to give as much respect as needed. And, uh, you know, I'm over that 42 with pride and honor today. Tim, you're a girl dad, and I know you feel a sense of responsibility to make a difference. I'm wondering what the conversations are like with your girls on a day like today. Uh, just just real, open and honest. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just tell them the truth. Tell them exactly what's going on. You know, they're going to get it. Um, and just try to make them understand, you know, how important this day is and uh, how important this day is to the culture as well. Hey, Tim, one of the things I've noticed, you know, Giolito went deep in the game the other day. Then Rendon, right. Rendon comes back last night with the no-hitter. Tony La Russa right. seems to be stretching these guys a little bit more than normal. Has that been a philosophy right. in the conversation? No, nah, man, we just got a great staff. Uh, these guys got that dog in them. Uh, they want to be out there. They want to compete. Um, you know, they want to get that bullpen a, a, a day or two. Um, and, you know, just to be able to play behind these guys like that, man, it, it, it makes it a lot easier. They're going to go out there and get outs. And uh, all you got to do is be ready for it when it hit to you. Tim, I know you and your, your teammates and also other players around the league heavily involved in the community, you especially. What, what is the importance of using that platform to f- help facilitate change in the community? What does that mean to you? No, man, it means a lot, Uh, you know, to be that example. I'm on the south side where, you know, most of the community is, you know, African-American. So to be to be that example and, uh, you know, be at one of the highest sports, you know, playing at one of the highest levels is is definitely, you know, a dream come true for me, but also inspiration and and a motivation for some of these younger kids. And, uh, you know, man, I just try to lead and and, and it's not it's not hard to be a be a good person. So, uh, you know, I just try to do what's right and, uh, you know, take care of the community. Uh, I know what it's like. I've been there. Hey, Tim, one of the things with that point is Nike's really made it a point to be have you be one of their front guys. How important has that been for you with that relationship with Nike? Man, just just a dream come true, man. You know, I never imagined, you know, uh, being one of their guys or, you know, being in a position that I'm in. So, uh, you know, I definitely take pride in that. And, uh, you know, I want to be the best example for, you know, for whoever it is. And, uh, you know, just to be, you know, uh, that top guy for Nike is, is you know, that's, that's pretty big, man. That's pretty big. I never imagined that, but that's pretty big. And, uh, you know, I'm going to make sure I do what's right and, uh, you know, continue to lead and, uh, you know, continue to take care of the community for sure. Tim, I want to give you some love because you helped me a little bit. I don't even look at the bat yeah, anymore. He doesn't. I know, man. I know. I know. I changed my mind. I changed well, my mind. Jeff McNeil threw mind, it into baby. the third deck, and I was like, hey, yeah. I guess I guess we're rolling yeah. it out there. Hey, you got you got to get with the wave, baby. You got to get with the wave, man. <laughs> the game changed, man. The game changed. Better catch up. <laughs> Tim Dira always says, for for a perfect team, you need the perfect mix of guys. There's a lot of personalities right. on your team. How does yep. it work together in a cohesive unit? Uh, uh, 
No, nah, man, we just, you know, it's open. It's open clubhouse. Every, every guy got a voice. Um, you know, that's what you want. You want guys to be themselves, authentic, 100% them. Um, you know, because when we step between those lines, that's how you're going to get the real them. Uh, and they're going to play with that excitement. And that's what we want. You know, we're not, we're not here to shy away from the excitement. No, nah, we, we enjoy everything. We're going to enjoy everything. Uh, you know, man, it's hard. You got to think about how many people in the world that, that, that want to be in this in this yeah. spot. Yeah. And, and yeah. for us to make it. For us to make it, man, is, you know, definitely dream come true. So we're going to enjoy this. And, uh, you know, nothing gets all the teammates, but, you know, we hit a home run. We're going to let you know. We're going to let you Who's know because that's fun. That's excitement. You say, what? yeah, yeah, everybody allow this. Everybody allow this. Open. It's, <laughs> it's, open. it's, it's just open. It's just open. Tim. Everybody open. Man, it's crazy. It's crazy, man. It's, it's, Was he doing it's, this in it's, spring? It's fun to see. Nah, we didn't really get as many looks looks uh, at him at spring, um, but until like towards the end. But man, just to see what he's doing right now, man, yeah. is big fan, big fan. You seen the one he hit last night? Yeah, oh, yeah. I mean he is. Yeah. it was galactic. Let him know, baby. That's what Benetti yeah, said. Right? Let him know. Oh, okay. Great call. Yeah, he let him know. Pretty cool to hear from Tim Anderson yep. on MLB Network this past Thursday, right before the starts of their game on Jackie Robinson Day to hear him talk about it, the importance of Jackie Robinson and his legacy and just what, you know, Tim Anderson is trying yeah. to do to inspire uh, young African-Americans to love the game that he loves so much. It's really cool to hear him talk about it. They also asked Tim Anderson what he had for breakfast, and he just, uh, they, they go, what are you going to eat for breakfast? He goes, who are we playing today? Basically, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to eat them up. Ah, and then, there you go. Yeah, there, there he went, first at bat, and he got that hit right off the bat, and then he came around to score the first run of the game for the, the White Sox that day. So that's what you're looking for. You're looking for that guy at the top of the order, and uh, that'll be nice. And then eventually you'll get Adam Engel back and, you know, get all the uh, the injured guys back. And Eli, we know, won't be till uh, maybe late in the season, but we'll see. Yeah, you know, and they brought up your mean Mercedes. Yep. And I'll be honest, this is not – completely surprising to me because if you followed your means career you know and listen i don't know how closely anybody's really following a guy's career in the minors but what i'll tell you is that when he started making a name for himself last year during spring training i went back and looked and just what he did throughout his career and he's always been able to hit fred that's it you know no matter what level he was at in the minors it's not just hit two he's able to hit but also take his walks doesn't strike out right. a ton, you know, in comparison across the league. Yeah, that's why I keep hearing about all these p- people wanting to move the mound back or the rubber back a foot. Well, here's a 28-year-old rookie who is making contact with two strikes. You know what? He's learning, and he knows you've got to put the ball in play when you get two strikes. Don't swing for the fences. It would be nice if the rest of the players in baseball could figure that out, and they don't have to worry about digging up the rubber at, at 30 ballparks around baseball and moving it. Well, unless, of course, you throw a no-hitter, then you got to dig up the rubber anyway and yeah, yeah, I guess you give do. it to the pitcher the next day, but you uh-huh. replace it. So I do think, though, that this is actually sustainable. If, if your mean yep. Mercedes continues to get an opportunity to be the designated hitter for the long term, I do think we may see some very impressive numbers at the end of the year when all is said and done because all he's shown throughout his career is an ability to hit, and because there's the open spot, at DH because Eloy Jimenez obviously right. is not going to be available in left field or DH for a while, then your mean Mercedes has the chance to excel this year. And I think I really there's no reason to believe that he won't be successful because all he done is all he's done is hit wherever he's been. The the big problem for him was that look, you look at him and the body, he he's not a catcher. Even he, though he reminds me of Astadio, the guy from yes, uh, absolutely. Minnesota. That's a good comp. Yeah. But he's got more power. Yes, he does. You know, so as long as there's an open spot, 
to use him at DH, I do think the White Sox have found themselves a hitter who may be in the lineup all year long. And he also showed us, after Carlos Rodon's uh, no-hitter, that he's got some speed. He jumped from that dugout. He, he went, he went hightailing it for the mound. He's got he, some. He's quick. He's got some speed and some jiggle. Yes. That, that jump with the nice little uh, <laughs> yeah. little hop. He made it over. Remember, years ago, there were players that got hurt jumping over the thing. You don't want to do that. You want to make sure you're okay. You hate to say, I got injured because I jumped over the dugout uh, railing. Sure. You don't that, want that. Absolutely. He's Fred Hubner. I'm Jeff Meller. This is White Sox Weekly here on ESPN 1000, White Sox Network. Up next, Jeff Passan was on with Waddle and Sylvie on ESPN 1000 earlier this week, and he was raving about the pitching matchup that took place on Tuesday between Shane Bieber and Lucas Giolito. And Jeff offered up an interesting solution to try and help more uh, hitters and get more balls in play. And I want to get your reaction, Fred, to what Jeff said with Waddle and Sylvie earlier this week. This is ESPN 1000. White Sox Network. White Sox fans, we have the perfect space for you and your group. Learn more about our private party areas and start planning your outing to the ballpark. For more information, call or text 312-674-1000 or visit whitesox.com. I'm Jeff Meller along with Fred Hubner here on White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000, White Sox Network. White Sox and Red Sox pregame coverage begins at 2.30 with Jonathan Hood. First pitch at 3.05. Freddie, Jeff Passan joins Waddle and Sylvie every week during the baseball season. I believe on Wednesdays usually. He, so he joined them this week. Uh-huh. And it was prior to Carlos Rodon having thrown his perfect game. And that gave them the opportunity to really focus in on the magnificent pitching performance that we saw take place at Guaranteed Rate Field on Tuesday between Shane Bieber and Lucas Giolito. And it led to an interesting conversation and idea from Jeff Passan. It's old school baseball. It's like Shane Bieber went out there and threw what amounts to a CG. How often do you see guys out there now who can go nine innings and go through lineups three and sometimes four times and still have the stuff and the confidence to make it all the way through? I love, love starting pitchers who do that. And, and we, can, we can talk about this some other time, the, the you know, panacea for baseball right now, the grand solution of speeding up the game and putting more balls in play being very simple. You cut down pitching staffs from 13 and 14 guys they have right now to 10 or 11, and you emphasize and reemphasize starting pitchers going deep into games. I like it. And and starting pitchers going deep into games are going to necessitate them not going full tilt on every pitch, max effort like they do right now. So the pitches may not be as nasty, but you're likely you're going to have more balls in play. And more balls in play is more action. We can break this whole thing down at any point you guys want, but I really think that's an idea that baseball needs to embrace because it is a catch-all solution that solves a lot of problems. I, I agree with you. You're not drastically changing a ton of rules. You're just limiting no. the roster space, you know, and every sport does that. Yeah. You're, you're, you're saying that to us, starting pitching and making starting pitching a, a reemphasized part of this game is important. As cool as it is to see the clown car of relievers come in one at a time, each one of them throwing 98 with a nasty breaking ball. It gets tired. 
I'm sorry. It gets a little tired. I want to see a guy grind through the late innings and get through tough at bats when he's a little bit worn down. The reality, guys, is if you could tell me that pitchers throwing fewer innings or fewer pitches led to them being healthier, maybe I'd be of a different mind. But it doesn't. And so because it doesn't, there's no reason to severely limit what starting pitchers are doing. If a guy shows himself capable of going out there and throwing 120 pitches, then let him throw 120 pitches. If a guy going out there wants to throw 250 innings and can do that, let him throw 250 innings. This doesn't have to be like the days where Nolan Ryan was throwing 200-pitch games or, you know, Sandy Koufax was throwing 300-inning seasons. It doesn't have to be that, but it has to be better than it is right now. So I thought that was interesting, the idea to limit Major League Baseball roster sizes to only 10 or 11 pitchers, and thus teams would not have the ease to just turn to a reliever even though there's the new rule the three batter minimum if it's not the end of an inning teams would have to be a little more judicious in their use of pitchers sure you can't just pull a guy after because the third time in the lineup's coming up i do agree with jeff i love to see like there's nothing that gets me more excited when i look through pitching probables and I see something like Lucas Giolito and Shane Bieber ready to go squaring off. Like, right. Like, I get excited and I go out of my way to watch a pitching matchup like that as a baseball fan. And so it is cool to have guys who have the ability to try and grind through at bats and pitch deeper into the game. But I will say this. I do think you have team. Like, I don't know if that solution of just limiting 10 or 11 pitches on the roster is actually workable or enforceable because I could easily see the Dodgers already do it. There's plenty of other teams, the Rays, that just have a rotation of guys who who they turn to, who are already at the alternate site, who they call up when they need to. They'll send a, a pitcher in the rotation to the injured list to skip a start, and they turn to another guy to be their sixth man in the rotation. I, I think it's I, it's in a perfect world, yes, that would be a solution, but I just think there's too many teams now that are analytically driven, Fred, where they would just work around it and it would never be enforceable. Yeah. It, 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 where does it have to start? Does it have to start in minor in in high school, then into college, into into minor leagues? You know, to get these pitchers more used to not throwing their best stuff in the first inning, the second inning, the third well, inning, and things like that. Yeah, I think that, like honestly, if you, I don't even know if you would have to do it there. I think the point is that if pitchers are asked to do a little more, they're not going to just air it out with every single pitch max effort with the fastball because they know, hey, we're going to need you in the seventh or eighth potentially, and so don't empty the tank in the third inning. Remember Justin Verlander? Of course. It wasn't How that long ago. Yeah, Verlander would would start slow and then work it up. His, his best pitches and best speed sure. would be second, third, fourth inning. And remember, he started the All-Star game. And he got rocked because he threw as hard as he could as soon as he came out. And he got lit up for like four or five runs or three mm-hmm. or four, whatever it was. And he said it completely took him out of his game because he knew he only had an inning or two. So he wanted to bring.
bring his fastball, and that's not what he's yeah, used to. Yeah, it wasn't his traditional use. And there's a re- yeah. he was always going deep in the games. With he was always going seven innings, eight innings, whatever it was. And that's what you love to see with pitchers. You hate to see the guy that can barely go five innings. You know, four and a half, four and two thirds, four and a third, and the the very first rotate, the first set of games for the White Sox pitchers, it was all five and a third or four or just under five innings, and you'd like to see more than that. And I, the way Tony Larusa is running his bullpen is another thing that eventually we can get into. But I love the way he's doing it, letting a guy like Cody Hoyer go two and a third, and letting. Kopech go an inning and a third and not just one inning and bring in another guy in. So it's great to see the way they're working some of their pitching right now. That's the voice of Fred Hubner. I'm Jeff Meller here on ESPN 1000, White Sox Network. Uh, actually, too, Carlos Rodon is somebody who actually, as the game goes on, his velocity tends to increase. So something to keep an eye out. <laughs> well, especially did the other day well, when he's showing 99 yeah. in the ninth inning. Especially if you got a no-hitter or a perfect game going. Yep. Hey, let's pause 10 seconds for our stations to identify themselves on ESPN 1000, White Sox Network. Hey, are you the biggest Lance, fin- Lance Lynn fan that there is? Well, you know what? I promise you, you're not. We're going to talk to the biggest Lance Lynn fan out there and a man who has been loving Carlos Rodon since he pitched at North Carolina State in his college days. We'll talk to the Ringers national baseball writer, Michael Bauman, in two minutes on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. At American Sale, we're known for having the best selection of pools, patio furniture, hot tubs, and grills. Everything you need for your outdoor fun. More importantly, it's the quality of the products we sell, and our product experts can answer any of your questions. And right now, you can save up to 50%, and we'll pay your sales tax. Or get 0% financing and get our lowest price guarantee. At American Sale, we're open, so come visit us or visit us online. American Sale, bring the fun home. Championships are won with teamwork, and the roster of painting, wall covering, drywall finishing, glass systems, and signage contractors at FinishingChicago.com cover all the bases. Property managers, owners, and general contractors rely on Finishing Chicago's pre-qualified contractors to provide the industry's latest finishing techniques with consistent quality. Before you start on your next job site, be sure to check out their website, FinishingChicago.com, your free resource to find quality finishing contractors. Proud radio partner of the White Sox. The first day of owning a new car is amazing. Fast forward to day 90, and if you own a Hyundai Tucson, it's still just as amazing, which is why J.D. Power ranked it number one in initial quality amongst all 2020 compact SUVs. The Hyundai Tucson, a great deal more than just a great deal. Sign and drive today with zero down payment, zero first payment, and zero security deposit, or get 3500 in total savings on the 2021 Tucson. See your local Hyundai dealer today. For J.D. Power 2020 award information, go to jdpower.com slash awards. Offers end April 30th, 2021. Call 224-661-0068 for details. America's favorite pastime is back. This year, that means more than ever. At Wintrust, we know it's important to have things you can count on, like baseball in the summer, the dedication of diehard Sox fans, and a bank that understands your financial needs. With White Sox checking, you'll score a Sox debit card and free ATMs nationwide, plus a bank that has your back. Get a special offer when you open now at Wintrust.com slash Sox. $100 required to open. Member FDIC. Chicago White Sox. Copyrights proprietary to the Chicago White Sox. Used with permission. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on ESPN 1000, White Sox Network. I'm Jeff Meller along with Fred Hubner. Connor McKnight has the play-by-play this evening as the White Sox take on Boston at Fenway, a 305 first pitch. 
Pre-game coverage begins at 2.30. And another big White Sox fan doing the uh, pre-game show. Absolutely. Jonathan Hood yep. will have you covered at 2.30 on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. Again, I'm Jeff Meller along with Fred Hubner. Freddie, now, I Michael Bauman, who writes for The Ringer, writes a lot about baseball. One of my favorite follows on Twitter, and I'm not going to lie, at some point I knew when we'd be doing the White Sox Weekly shows, I was like, I'm going to earmark, I'm going to make a little check mark, and Michael Bauman, someone I want to reach out to and talk to at some point during the season. And it just all came together on Wednesday night because of what Carlos Rodon was doing. Sure. And I saw Michael tweet about how Carlos Rodon was one of, or is one of his top 10 favorite college players of all time. But we cannot bring in Michael Bauman to White Sox Weekly and not start our conversation about Lance Lynn because he is indeed the world's biggest Lance Lynn fan. Michael, I have to ask you, how did your fascination and obsession with Lance Lynn begin? Well, a couple of years ago, well, first of all, I, I don't know if you can hear me over all the people crowding onto the Lance Lynn bandwagon. It's, it's uh, <laughs> White Sox fans are gonna... big enough a couple of years ago. But... White Sox fans are all in, Michael. They're, they're yep. ready to join you. Yeah. So a couple of years ago, I... It was the first time he hit free agency was leaving St. Louis. Uh, I was sort of just paging through the um, the list of free agent pitchers. I was like, wow, Lance Lynn's stats are way better than anybody talks about. And he had had Tommy John surgery and missed a season. But apart from that, it was just 120 ERA plus, 33 starts, 190, 200 innings every single year for like six or seven years. And I think, you know, there's also – I've – been a big fan of the style of pitcher he was then, sort of like the big, husky, bearded uh, sinker ballers. Like, you know, Brandon Webb's one of my favorite pitchers ever. And so he sort of fit that archetype at the time. And obviously his, his repertoire has evolved since he left the Cardinals. But uh, it started out as a bit, and then he got to Texas and turned into one legitimately one of the best pitchers in baseball. And, uh, you know, I'm not right that much, so I decided to, <laughs> to really take a victory lap on this. Well, and indeed you did, Michael. I just want to point out, Fred, one of my favorite tweets so far of the baseball season came on April 3rd from Michael. He tweeted out when the White Sox were opening the year. It was the second game of the year. Lance Lynn was on the mound. They were taking on the Angels. And Michael Bauman had this gem. Turned on the Angels-White Sox game to see the best player in baseball, and he just struck out Mike Trout. <laughs> so there you go. If, if, you, if, you, if you don't know how much Michael loves Lance Lynn, there you go. See, he was a guy I, would, I picked up year in and year out in fantasy leagues because he was always the, he was not the guy that was on a lot of teams' rosters. And every once in a while, you'd be able to pick him up later in the year because for one reason or another, someone would have dropped him. But he was always there giving you giving you innings. And that's such, yeah. a rare, such a rarity in baseball nowadays, a guy that you can consistently count on to give you innings each and every year. Yeah, I think that's something that really gets underrated. And I think an inflection point for me came when – uh, Noah Syndergaard was coming up with the Mets and just throwing just absolutely unbelievably uh, flashy stuff and having great uh, great results. But, you know, he's had a hard time staying on the mound and having a hard time doing that consistently. And I think there are more people now who can flash number one starter stuff in 15 starts a year than there are people who can be a number two or three starter for uh, for 33 starts a year. And I think that Lynn is really, I mean, I, that's why I like the, the pickup for the White Sox so much is there's so many other variables to this team, but you know you can rely on him. This is White Sox Weekly here on ESPN 1000, White Sox Network. I'm Jeff Meller along with Fred Hubner talking with the ringers, Michael Bauman. Michael, 
the other reason I did see you tweet about Rodon and how he's one of your all-time favorite college baseball players, and you're somebody who follows college baseball very closely. What do you think about what Carlos Rodon has been able to do here in the early going? I mean, he's talked about how Ethan Katz has helped him clean up his his lower half and his mechanics and how he's really helped him, and he's finally healthy. And we saw the culmination of that on Wednesday night. I mean, yeah. have, like he's, he's on a one-year deal with the White Sox. Do you think there's a chance he may have finally unlocked all that potential? I, I hope so. I mean, it, what we saw on Wednesday night with the no-hitter with – you know, with the the mid to upper nineties fastball velocity, which was somehow getting, you know, getting higher and higher as the game was going on, that uh, that slider that I mean, it, it, when he was at NC State, particularly his sophomore year before he started having injury problems, you just you just couldn't hit him. Like there's a, a gift that I tweeted out of him against Presbyterian college where he throws a, a back foot slider and the batter swings and misses and falls on his face. And that's, <laughs> you know, that's how dominant he was in college. And he was, you know, if you talk about, I don't know if the, the two Vandy kids who are coming out this year have filtered up there, um, Kamar Rocker and Jack Leiter, you know, we're talking about them as, as, you know, maybe, once every two or three years, you get a college pitching prospect like this in terms of polish and stuff. Garrett Cole was like this. Steven Strasburg was like this. And Rodon was that quality of prospect. Um, and, you know, he started having back problems, got overworked a little bit uh, when he was at NC State, and has never really been able to, to put it together at the professional level, whether it's injuries, whether whether it's command, whether, you know, it's just been one thing or another. And now, you know, he's 28 and he's put it together for two starts and I'm sure, you know, I'm trying not to freak out too much, but this has always been in there for him. And, you know, I think if, if he's healthy and if he's working with Ethan Katz and really starting to, to figure it out, like that special picture, I think it's still in there. I mean, at least we saw that uh, for, for, for one night. And I'm, I'm really happy for him that he got, you know, if he does nothing else in his career, he's going to have this. And I'm, I'm really happy that everybody got to see Pete Carlos Rodon because I wasn't really sure we were going to see it again. After the White Sox non-tendered him, were you surprised that they decided to give him another shot? No, not really. Because I mean, this happens at roster crunches, and and you you know, or you don't want to go to arbitration with a right. with a player that you might still like and might want to bring back if the if the circumstances are right. Um, so you know, if he got non-tendered, I think. He might as well have stayed there as it's gone anywhere else. If he didn't get a better offer, you know, might as well stay where where you're comfortable. Um, but I mean, there's still there's still so much potential in that arm as we've seen just in the the first couple starts he's made this season. So I, I definitely think it was smart for the White Sox to find a place for him. It's funny you said you may not want to go to arbitration with someone you really like because at arbitration they all they do is sit there and tell you how bad you are and how you suck and they yeah. don't want to give you money and it's probably not a good thing if you actually do like the guy. Yeah, I mean it's this isn't quite that that situation, but I think that's generally true. Yeah. That, you know, you, that process is is adversarial in a way where if you're trying to build up a guy's confidence or you know trying to foster a positive working relationship, that you know you might not want to go on the record saying you know trying to 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 depress his value. You know, it, and then there's the fact that at its core, arbitration is the team trying to pay him less than than he thinks he's worth, and right. so you know that's a naturally acrimonious process so you know there's some teams that that have a, a hardcore uh file and trial 
uh, philosophy, but most teams will try to, to avoid it if they can. And, you know, I think that's generally the healthiest way to go if you can come to, to some kind of an agreement to just not have to go through that process. Michael Bauman of The Ringer joining us here on White Sox Weekly, ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. I'm Jeff Meller along with Fred Hubner. Michael, you wrote about uh, an interesting piece on The Ringer up right now. Which pitcher will be the next Shane Bieber and where will they come from? And I'm not going to spoil it because I want people to go out there and check it out. It's a great piece. But White Sox fans prior to Rodon's no-hitter got a chance to see a, have another first-hand look at Shane Bieber shove on Tuesday night and... He was up against Lucas Giolito. It seemed like both were bringing out the best in one, of, one another. Uh, we had a, a nothing-nothing game go into the 10th. And I'm just curious because it sparked a conversation uh, between me and some others. Now, if you just say, okay, Shane Bieber, Garrett Cole, 1-2 in the American League. Lucas Giolito then starts to creep in as one of the top names in the American League. Where does Lucas Giolito fall for you amongst the best pitchers in the American League right now? Yeah, I think, you know, 1-2... Bieber, Cole, and in some order, and then you start to have that discussion, and I think Giolito's in that, that next group. I think I might have picked him for AL Cy Young just because I did because the rest of my picks were chalky, and I wanted to have one mildly interesting one. But I think you know Giolito's another guy who was, you know, sort of sort of the high school version of, of Rodon where, you know, he was in the in contention to become the first high school right hander to go first overall, uh, got hurt his senior year, had some struggles, you know, lost some velocity, uh uh, in the national system, and, and you know, obviously, White Sox fans know all about his journey from worst pitcher in the American League to to what he's become the past couple of years. I mean, he's another guy, just a very smart pitcher, a very smart guy uh, who's got all the physical tools that you could possibly ask for. And you know, I think there's there's Cy Young potential there, whether he wins the award or not. You know, I think we should talk about him as a number one starter. You know, you had mentioned uh, the name, and I just want to get get some more information. Um, Jack Leiter from Vanderbilt, yeah. um, Al Leiter's son, and it, it. You know, if you watch MLB Network, they've been talking about him for a few years. But I just looked at his numbers. He's seven and zero in eight starts, forty nine innings. He's given up thirteen hits and struck out eighty four guys. Yeah. Uh, is he is, is he going to be that guy? Is he going to be the guy when the draft comes? Everyone's going to be battling because he's going to be the first guy gone. I mean, it's such an interesting dynamic between him and Kumar Rocker, who's, you know, got athletic bloodlines itself. His his father, Tracy, is a longtime um, a former, I believe, All-American defensive lineman, former NFL player and defensive line coach throughout you know, NFL and, and uh, the SEC with a, a couple different teams. I mean, I... Up until a couple weeks ago, I had Rocker had a lighter on my board because Rocker's a, a bigger guy. I like his mound presence a little bit more. Lighter was untested against top-end SEC uh, competition. That's the other thing about those stats. He's been doing it against against some of the best teams in the country. At one point, he went 20 innings without allowing a hit. Um, and so these two guys, you look for two pitchers of this quality on the same team, you have to go back 10 years to Garrett Cole and Trevor Bauer on on UCLA. And I think these guys might even be better than that pairing. You know, you can talk about the two of them as or those four pitchers sort of analogous in terms of uh, in terms of quality. But in terms of college performance, like uh, I think Rocker and Leiter are doing better than than Cole and Bauer uh, were 10 years ago. Well, and we've seen what they've done in the pros. So. Yeah, I thought you were going to say since Walker Bueller and uh, Carson Fulmer, but we all no, they're better than that. <laughs> I was going to say oh, we yeah. all know how that worked out. Fred's just digging the knife into White yeah, Sox fans on that. Uh, one. Yeah, <laughs> I like you know I liked Carson Fulmer coming out of college, so yeah. you know we 
we could all sink on that ship together, I guess. Yep. Well, since you know what, since you brought up former White Sox, Fred, I have to ask uh, one uh, non-related. Well, I, I'll make it White Sox related in some way here. How about Fernando Tatis's return last night, Michael, in the game against Dodgers, uh, Padres, Dodgers? What a showdown! I mean, like I'm up till in, in the Central Time Zone. I was kicking around till one fifteen last yep. night watching that game. I mean, that game was something for, you know, uh, an April affair. And then to have Fernando Tatis return and hit a home run to straightaway center fielder, uh, straightaway center, I mean, I have to say, uh, just, just another reason, every once in a while, White Sox fans, a little bit of, uh, I can't believe he's not on this roster. Yeah, I mean, I hope I hope you all enjoy James Shields. Like that's, Love uh, yeah. So, I've, you know, at, at some point, you just got to let it go and, and enjoy yeah, I, I, every time I talk about Tatis, I feel sort of ridiculous, like I'm overselling him. Like, I was about to say, enjoy this generation's Ken Griffey Jr. Like, I think he could be that level of star. He does just the, the way he plays the, the game, you know, in terms of his physical talents, in terms of the way you could see him analyzed, the way, um, you know, the sort of infectious, fun showmanship that, that he has on the field like the the way i've described his game particularly defensively is he's not he makes mistakes because it feels like he's testing the sport for weaknesses like he's doing things that are attempting things that that you wouldn't think are, are possible on the on the baseball diamond and so you know i understand the the desire to to say wow i wish he was on my team you know White Sox fans have that in common with fans of the 29 other franchises. You know, Tim Anderson's not bad himself and brings a lot to the table. So, you know, but I I think, like you said, that that Dodgers-Padres rivalry is something else right now. I think that's the marquee matchup in the the sport right now. You know what, Michael? There's no worries because your mean Mercedes is helping us get past it. That's right. Every day. Yeah. So... Uh, All right, Michael. Well, we appreciate your time. Thanks for jumping on and waxing poetic about Lance Lynn because I knew there would be no one better to do so. We appreciate your time today, man. Always happy to come on and talk about Lance Lynn. That is Michael Bauman of The Ringer. Check out his stuff. Great piece up right now uh, looking for the next Shane Bieber on The Ringer. Uh, A very interesting read if you're a baseball fan. Yeah. He's Fred Hubner. I'm Jeff Meller. This is White Sox Weekly. We're leading you up to pregame coverage up at 2.30 here on ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. Jonathan Hood will get you set for the White Sox and Red Sox with Connor McKnight and Darren Jackson on the call for tonight's game. Hey, Sox fans. The Chicago Sports Depot is back for the season. Get the latest team gear to rep all season long. Be sure to follow the White Sox store on Instagram for series sales and more. For store hours and information, visit whitesox.com slash depot. All right, up next, we will wrap this. Carl Ravitch joined Cap and Jay Hood, Jonathan Hood, who has the pregame show. Carl Ravitch joined the boys yesterday and had uh, some interesting thoughts about the importance of the manager in today's modern baseball game. We'll listen to what he had to say next on ESPN 1000, White Sox Network. Hey, uh, AT&T, do you mind turning down your music a little? We live with AT&T, and it's a headache. Before he moved in, he always talked about gig speed internet, but turns out we can't even sign up for that here. We really wanted gig speed for my constant work video calls during the day and all of his gaming and live streaming at night. Oh, seriously. You know, my buddy Bruce just switched to Xfinity. He went with a gig since all his kids are living at home. Lucky Bruce. I bet they also get Xfinity's online security, so all their connected devices are protected. Okay, I can't handle this. 
this. He is actually tone deaf. He's a drone chef? What's that? Stop living with AT&T. Xfinity can deliver gig to the most homes. Plus, with advanced security, if it's connected, it's protected. Switch to Xfinity. Go to Xfinity.com slash compare ATT. Call 1-800-XFINITY or visit a store today. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and are not guaranteed. XFi advanced security is available to Xfinity Internet customers with a compatible XFi gateway. Since 1988, Goose Island Beer Company has been brewing award-winning beers in Chicago, inspired by the city. Beers like our Next Coast IPA, 312 Lemonade Shandy, now White Sox Golden Ale. Our two Chicago locations are great spots if you're thinking about grabbing a few beers to enjoy the game. Goose Island is a proud partner of the Chicago White Sox. Goose Island Beer Company, Chicago's beer. Please drink responsibly. Former White Sox pitcher and announcer Ed Farmer was thrown the biggest curveball of his life when he was told the only thing that could save him was organ donation. My brother Tom, he's the guy that gave me my life back because I was dying. Three more days, I was going to be gone. Ed lived nearly 30 years because of the kidney donation. His legacy will live on through the White Sox and this life-saving program. Join the Illinois Secretary of State's Organ Tissue Donor Registry. I always say heaven knows you can't take them with you. Hey, uh, AT&T, do you mind turning down your music a little? We live with AT&T, and it's a headache. Before he moved in, he always talked about gig speed internet, but turns out we can't even sign up for that here. We really wanted gig speed for my constant work video calls during the day and all of his gaming and live streaming at night. Oh, seriously. You know, my buddy Bruce just switched to Xfinity. He went with a gig since all his kids are living at home. Lucky Bruce. I bet they also get Xfinity's online security, so all their connected devices are protected. Okay, I can't handle this. He is actually tone deaf. He's a drone chef? What's that? Stop living with AT&T. Xfinity can deliver gig to the most homes. Plus, with advanced security, if it's connected, it's protected. Switch to Xfinity. Go to Xfinity.com slash compare ATT. Call 1-800-XFINITY or visit a store today. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and are not guaranteed. XFi advanced security is available to Xfinity Internet customers with a compatible XFi gateway. Drive like you work here. That is the theme for the... A fatal work zone crash in Williamson County. The flagger and father of two was pronounced dead at the scene. The flagger was filmed late Friday evening while doing road work. I doubt an ISP urging drivers to be more aware. More than 4,800 work zone crashes each year. Hitting a worker could result in a fine of up to $25,000 and time in prison. Drivers can learn more at lifeordeathillinois.com. Okay, bankers, listen up. I want discounts for my phone and I want roadside assistance. Okay, you got it. All around Chicago, people are waking up to a better way to bank. With Marquette Bank, get help with roadside assistance up to four times a year. Plus, access to discounts for shopping, restaurants, and more with Marquette Bank's Fun Rewards app. Learn more at emarquettebank.com backslash fun rewards. Marquette Bank, member FDIC. Certain restrictions apply. Back on White Sox Weekly here on ESPN 1000, White Sox Network. I'm Jeff Meller along with Fred Hubner, bringing you up to White Sox pregame coverage, which begins in a, just under 10 minutes here at 2.30. Jonathan Hood will have you covered there, taking you up to White Sox and Red Sox. First pitch today at 3.05. Of course, we're going to have a split doubleheader tomorrow yep. as the, game, the rainouts from Friday will be made up on Sunday. And then 
Freddie, we've got ourselves a morning baseball on Monday. Yeah, very Patriots early. Patriots Day. 9.30 Patri- pregame on Monday. Absolutely. So I uh, love the Patriots Day game, and I'm going to love it even more because the White Sox are going to be a part of it. White Sox fans, celebrate life's special moments with a personalized scoreboard message on the right field video board during home games. Perfect for birthdays, anniversaries, and more. All proceeds benefit White Sox charities. Visit whitesox.com slash scoreboard to purchase your message today. I said that Jonathan Hood has you covered for pregame here at 2.30. Jonathan also hosts a show weekly here uh, with David Kaplan. Cap and Jay Hood may have heard of it. Yep. They had Carl Ravitch on yesterday, and Jonathan asked Carl what was his initial reaction when he heard that Tony La Russa was going to be the White Sox manager. The manager thing is so fascinating. As we all know, managers get fired one year, uh, and by the way, two years before, they were manager of the year. So I, I think we all have to kind of wonder what the role, impact, import of a manager is. And look, you guys have all dealt with it. you tell me that Joe Madden sucked in his last year? If it was all broken in 2018, was that Joe Madden and his responsibility? Nope. And, and what, to what extent does, does he bear the responsibility? How important is Tony Larusa? to a team that has the, the talent that that team has. Could, could you or I do similar? And again, uh, look at the, ma- the manager's role is to get the most out of his players. W- w- how, what button does that mean they have to push? And does it mean they have to push any button to get the most out of those players? I- I've always looked at managers as as bridge builders how the hell do we get these guys to play the best how do we put them in the right frame of mind you're not teaching really anything you're not coaching anything you're not changing a swing per se eventually their talent is going to be what dictates how good that team is so i was surprised because he'd been out of the game but whether it was tony la Russa, eduardo perez there's so many guys i think the white Sox are just talented they're going to win. You know, I don't think they get in the way very often managers. That, that's a, that's a smokescreen for players who just are pissed off at the way they're playing and they don't like the guy or they want him out. I, I, don't, I don't blame, nor do I give too much credit to, to the manager in these situations. Carl Ravitch on with Captain Jay Hood. Give you 30 seconds to respond to that, Freddie. Oh, I've been saying that for decades, and everybody keeps yelling at me and arguing with me. I thought I was a man on an island by myself, but now I got Carl Ravitch on the island with me. I, but he's going to use all of the hair gel. I don't know. Uh, so great, great, uh, interesting stuff there from Carl Ravitch, who joined Cap and Jay Hood yesterday on ESPN 1000. Check out the podcast on the ESPN Chicago app. You can also hear all the White Sox games on the ESPN Chicago app if you're in the Chicagoland area. So make sure you download that today. I'm Jeff Meller. He's Fred Hubner. Thanks to Eric Ostrowski for running the board. Thank you so much to Ryan McGuire for executive, executively producing this bad boy. Stick around. White Sox baseball against the Red Sox is coming up next right here on ESPN 1000, White Sox Network.